So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today's a really important episode and I'll tell you why. Right now, I'm hearing constant conversations about how anxious people are about the cost of everything, the cost of food, the cost of fuel, goods, services. In other words, we are worried about the cost of life today and we think that this is the biggest problem we are facing. We think that once the government gets inflation under control, again, assuming they do, that life will return to normal. But the question I want to probe today is, will it? So the first starting point that I think would be really useful for everyone here is just a quick revisit of what exactly is inflation. So inflation refers to the general trend of increasing prices over a certain period of time. And as inflation occurs, as the price of goods and services goes up, our purchasing power decreases, meaning the value of a dollar decreases because it actually costs us more to buy the same goods or services or the same amount of money buys fewer goods and services. The problem is that sharp deviations from a modest inflation rate in either direction presents challenges for investors as well as consumers. And that is because they have potential for very significant economic disruption and they also have unpredictable and varying effects on different asset classes. Now, the question that I'm sure many of you are thinking, well, why does that matter? Why does that affect me? And look, for the average consumer, the immediate worry is absolutely how can I afford to live today? I totally get that. The cost of goods and services has gone up massively. Energy prices are sky high. But the problem is people's wages haven't kept pace. The cost of borrowing money has gone up. And the experience that a lot of people, myself included, is, geez, I hope we can keep pace with this. Now, for investors, all of those frustrations are true. Even if you're ultra wealthy and it seems like a minor annoyance, it's important that we start to think about, well, how does this affect us not only today, but 5, 10, 15 years from now? The implications, if your impact on your assets and investing is significant, then it will actually affect what you might call retirement, your income stream after you decide to stop earning active income. And so that's really where we want to go deep on today. I think if your investments are losing money because of inflation, even if they're showing gains each year, those gains need to be discounted. Similarly, if your salaries increase every year, but they don't keep pace with inflation, again, technically you are making less money. So I've got a couple of things I want to show you guys today, which I think will actually bring this concept to life. In economics, inflation is this actual physical unit of measure. It's a quantitative measure and tracking it over time is based on looking at a standardized basket of goods. The problem, and especially this is true in the US, there's a lot 
lot of people writing about this, is the government keep changing the basket of goods, possibly to kind of manipulate the headlines, to avoid wide-scale panic. The problem is that the basket of goods keeps changing, then we're not really getting an accurate measure of inflation. And there have been so many reports, particularly in the US, talking about if we took a standardized basket of goods from 10 years ago and applied the same basket of goods, then you would find, in fact, inflation is one and a half to two times what's actually reported. And that's certainly the experience that people have is that this isn't just a small six to eight percent increase cost on year on year. It's way more than that. Inflation is defined as the increase of prices over time. That rate of increase or that rate of change is usually expressed as a percentage. I want to show you guys this because I think this is super fascinating. I've created a small spreadsheet here. And the idea behind this spreadsheet is to really just give you an insight into what happens to $100 over a period of 10 years. Now, if we look at this first line here of cash, if you've got cash and it's $100 and it stays $100, you just have $100 in the bank, say, for example, and let's assume for the sake of this illustration that you're not earning any interest on it. If we look down here in the yellow at inflation, if we have a basket of goods that's worth $100, let's say, and I'm being aggressive here, let's say inflation's 8% for the first three years, it drops to 5% third year, then down to three. And then let's say at the end of year five or at the beginning of year six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you have the long time average of two and a half percent or the desired rate of inflation as shown by the government as the desired rate at two and a half percent. Now that actually seems like a reasonable and likely scenario. So let's actually look up here above and see, well, what impact does that have? Let's look at the green line at the moment, which is our assets. And apologies if you are listening to this podcast, I do recommend you come and have a look at the video version on YouTube or on our website. But you can see in green here, if you had $100 of an assets, growth rate was a consistent 5% per annum. Now you might look at that and go, well, that's actually pretty good. Within sort of four years, you're going to be earning more from that than the rate of inflation. So surely I'll be okay. So if we, if we roll those numbers forward, $100 at 5% per annum growth in year 10, you will have at the end of year 10, an asset worth $163. Now contrast that to our $100 basket of goods caused by inflation, and that is $154. So just a reminder, that was with three years at 8% inflation, then a drop to five, three, and then two and a half by year five. What we're saying is your asset of $100, which has grown at an, an annual rate of 5%, is worth $163. And that same $100 basket of goods is $154, $154. Like I look at that and I go, well, you are barely ahead. So that asset growing at 5% per annum is barely ahead of the you know basket of goods. Yes, that's okay. But like, let's look at some other scenarios. Let's imagine you had $100 worth of assets. You were only earning 2% per annum every year for the next 10 years. At the end of the 10th year, that would be worth $122. Now, when you contrast that to the 154 year, hang on a second, that is going backwards. And so maybe for those of you who have large sums of cash in the bank in savings accounts earning 2%, that starts to give you a bit of a wake up call that if I let that sit there for 10 years and do nothing with it, 
that my money is actually going backwards because under the scenario of inflation, that $100 basket of goods 10 years ago is now costing you $154, but your $100 cash or asset investment is only worth $122. So you are behind. You've actually lost your net worth. And then the third example of an asset is let's start again with $100 of assets. Often in these high inflationary environments, when the government uses the one big lever or tool that it has available to it, which is hiking up interest rates, let's say your asset grows at 2% for the next three years while they get inflation under control. Let's also assume that in the third year, it jumps, the growth jumps to 5% for another three years. And then in years six, seven, eight, and nine, it jumps to 7%. So what we can see there is your $100 asset today is worth $161 at the end of year 10. Meanwhile, if we can contrast that to the 154 in the basket of goods, again, you can see you are slightly, and I say this only slightly ahead. I then did a, a second scenario here of saying, well, what if the inflation was eight, then became six, then became five, then became four, three, and then dropped to two and a half from years five to 10. And what we saw was, you know, the basket of goods that was $100 is now 146. Whether we have a high level of inflation for three years and then a return to normal over a couple of years, or we have a steady decline from where we are back down to standard inflation over five years, the difference in terms of the cost of the basket of goods in 10 years time is nominal. I'm showing you this because some of you like it when I get into the weeds on, well, what do these numbers actually look like? But let's actually go back and what does that all mean? Frankly, that's interesting, but let's look at that in terms of our life. I think the real takeaway is that if you added some zeros to those numbers, I mean, I'm starting with this $100 example. You can see why this is a scary cocktail because if you are someone, let's say who has a million dollars worth of assets now, and in 10 years time, that's only going to be worth two thirds of its purchasing power today, you are in hot water. You are going to potentially have to stay in the workforce or rely on the government or fall into some level of dependency. So this is a super important thing to understand. I think the next really important question to think about is how are different assets affected by inflation? And the theory is that as inflation rises, many asset class in theory should rise as well. The problem we face though is that when governments begin to drive up interest rates in order to try and dampen inflation, asset prices such as in real estate can often be stagnant or even decline as borrowers struggle under the weight of higher repayments. And that's certainly what we're seeing right now. In the world of alternative investing, there are a lot of assets backed by real property that allow you to become the bank. And as a lender, you can earn a fixed rate of interest. And provided those are well above the inflation rate and the cost of capital, you will be okay. But again, this is about understanding what assets make sense to invest in and what which ones don't. And that is where the skill around making sure you are aligning with really great deal makers and trusted advisors is super, super important. Just going a bit deeper, lending deals of any variety, like even lending by the, the major banks, you, you're hearing about a lot of banks getting into hot water right now. And it's because they haven't left themselves enough of a cushion or a margin for error when borrowers fail or asset prices or values fall or they have to take possession of assets. So longer term fixed rate debt is way more vulnerable to inflation than short term debt because what the inflation does is it affects the value of future repayments and so correspondingly the value of inflation 
erodes the value of those repayments over time. Moving on, there are plenty of equity-based deals, particularly in the real estate game, where you can create forced appreciation through improvements and renovations. But the problem again is that if there isn't enough profit in the deal, then you know that profit can evaporate with falling asset prices. If we're thinking about strategies, it would include flipping, selling profit properties for a quick profit, a syndication, some syndications which are poorly structured and hoping for a small margin of profit. Developments. Every man and their dog wants to get into developments because they think that that's how a lot of people have become wealthy. But it's so easy for the market to sneeze and for you to get that completely wrong. I'll tell you now, I know that I'm interested in developments. I'm doing a development right now and I am very conscious that the market has shifted against me from the point in time where I started to where we are today. On my back of the envelope calculations right now, we will probably end this project if we're lucky at a break even. Now, a lot of developers would have their arms up going, oh my God, that's just a terrible outcome. But because my intention is to hold those assets, at least for a short to medium term, I can wear that. I can kind of cope with that provided I can cope with the cost of the interest rates after they're rented out. The flip side to that is I have another couple of clients who are really interested in developments who rely on the sale of those assets in order to make their money. Now, one I think will possibly come out with a very small profit. The other one, I'm I'm not so sure, like potentially could be underwater. So the reason I'm sharing these stories with you and sharing my story with you is I want you to understand that deals and strategies that work in the best of times, in the rosiest of conditions, can often come undone in current market conditions. And we need to be really mindful of that. The assets that will fare best under inflation are those that are assured of bringing in more cash or rising in value as inflation increases. So examples of this could include a rental property that's subject to regular increases in rent, energy pipeline, which is charging rates which are tied to inflation. But again, the problem is we don't live in a vacuum. And as inflation goes up, rents don't always keep pace. There's so much really charged news at the moment about greedy landlords putting up their rents, you know, renters being the victims in this whole scenario. But bear in mind that the average investor, particularly say, for example, here in Australia or New Zealand, they are not rich fat cats. They're people who've scrounged together deposit to try and buy an investment property to better their life so that they don't have to rely on the government down the track. And what's happened is that, yeah, sure, on average, rents may have been increased 20 to 40% over the last two years. But in many cases, for a lot of those newer investors who are just trying to get their foot in the door on their own wealth building, repayments in some cases have trebled. I think it's really important to understand both sides of the equation. Yes, there are greedy landlords out there who are hiking up the prices just because and they're being opportunistic. But I would say the vast majority of people and certainly a lot of the property managers that I work with say, in fact, most landlords are trying to minimize the rental increases because they're aware of the pain that it causes their tenants. So I guess the point of what I'm saying is the theory around the assets that rise in value versus don't rise in value just needs to be looked at much more closely because I think we, as I said, we don't live in a vacuum and there are a lot of competing and conflicting signals that are coming out of the market right now. If I were to pause there and say, well, what can we learn from all of this? Like, what does that mean for us as investors? And I've got really three lessons that I would love to share with you today. So the first lesson is do not redline your finances in favor of investing. In my own journey, definitely 
as a younger investor, I didn't have a great income and I felt I had no choice. I had to hustle and redline and scrimp and save and try this and try that and wear the losses, get the cuts and bruises. But in this environment of high inflation, but also high uncertainty, cash is still king. What I would say is that this idea of redlining your finances right now, this particular cocktail of circumstances is quite unique. We haven't seen this in our part of the world for at least 25 years. So so this is a go slow, tread carefully stage of the economy. I think holding very small cash reserves, just because you want to see your money working for you, could actually leave you very vulnerable to a highly volatile and uncertain future. I think right now, the attitude to adopt is do not let money burn a hole in your pocket, meaning do not be impatient about investing in a way that could potentially leave you short or put you in that situation where you are redlining. The second lesson that I think is one to consider is right now trying to predict what will happen is like catching a falling knife. So do not try to predict the bottom of the market or the top of the market. Focus on making investments that make sense over the medium to long term. Think about your margin for error. So one of the things that I have learned from one of my trusted advisors is the critical importance of sensitivity analysis, even when conditions are fabulous. And the reason for that is it gives you a taste of what the worst case scenario is. So all of the people who extended themselves into very big loans over the last two or three years as the pandemic fever for real estate blew out of control were making small deposits, 5, 10, 15, 20% deposits and locking in interest rates at 1.9% for a couple of years thinking we've achieved our goal who are now in excruciating pain did so because they failed to do sensitivity analysis. What I'm looking at right now and let's say for example at the time of recording this we've just had an interest rate hike here in Australia this month. You know the bank rates of interest are ranging between 6 and 7.5% right now depending on who you're with and what, what your situation is. I would be saying to you, if you are thinking about doing deals in real estate, if you are thinking of borrowing, push up that rate of interest, do some sensitivity analysis on, could I cope if those interest rates jumped up to the next level? Not saying they will, I'm not saying they won't, but don't hang your hat on the media headlines saying interest rates have to go down. They have to return back down to the one, two percent, because what we want to remind ourselves of is that the hundred year interest rate average has been much closer to 7% rates of interest that we've experienced over the last five years or so have not been experienced for a very long time in history. So we cannot assume that that is the new norm. The final comment on that one is doing a deal now just because you think things can't get worse is definitely the wrong mindset to have. The third and final thing I I think is worth kind of tweaking out here or filling out as an idea here is recognizing that the emotion in the market right now is very high. It is sky high. So as more and more investors get caught in the cycle of panic, fear, stress, smart investors are sizing up the opportunities. If you can keep a level head, if you're in a position to access capital and you are prepared to wait for great opportunities, if you're prepared to watch and act when deals that stack up, fit your criteria, set in stone, you know, what your objectives are, then you are positioned to make a lot of money in the future, provided you're prepared to hold for the medium to long term. 
term. If you're waiting for commentators and the media, the rest of the world, the consensus, if you're waiting for the consensus to start telling us that everything is stabilizing, everything's back to normal, and the punters are starting to flood back into the market, the volume of great deals is going to evaporate and you're going to be back to fighting for great deals. Let me round this whole episode out because I think I've uh, gone down a few different rabbit holes today. It is 100% true that inflation is the silent assassin of your wealth. The question is, are you going to remain an innocent bystander or are you going to get active in taking control of your money and wealth and drive it to at least keep pace? Me personally, I'm watching the market. I am harnessing my resources. I am trying to increase my cash reserves and I'm evaluating my next move in this fabulous and challenging game. Till next time, guys, take care. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to inkosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.